0: Well, hello everyone. Welcome to First City Church. If you want to, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14 all day Savannah. In that picture, was that you on the end doing the little cheerleader pose? That was awesome. That was that was awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that girl has been around photos before, so the camera comes out and she just knows. So uh, I'm so gl- you got to work your ankles. <laughs> I'm so glad y'all had a good time. You're all back safely. Man, welcome to First City Church. If you have never experienced the grace of God, then I pray that this is the place where you your life crashes into the unconditional love and mercy and grace of God. And so welcome. Uh, Now we've been in this series called Parables and Taryn started the series uh, three weeks ago and he talked about the parable of the soul and and that they're different kind of hearts as we engage the word of God. And then last week we had a message, you know, about uh, new things and how do we make sure that we make room for the things of God in our life and not letting the things of the world just kind of crowd all that out. And today we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Now just so that you know... In the list of all the parables that Jesus taught, these short stories, these illustrations that he gave so that we could remember a truth. So these stories were made to just come alongside a principle or a truth or something that he wanted us to learn. And and he gave us the story so that we could remember it. So the first, you know, 15, in fact, 17 of the the first 17 uh, poems, uh, parables of Jesus, 15 of them had to do with things he wanted to teach us about ourselves. If you had just have faith like a mustard seed, just grow your faith. Learn how to treat people right. Uh, uh, Prepare your heart for the things of God. Just things that he wanted us to learn, making room for more of God. Then 22 of the last 25 parables all have to do with things that he wants us to know about God. God, like we sung this morning, leaves the 99 to run after the one that's lost. God says, listen, I don't care if you came into it early or if you came into it late. There is a home in heaven prepared for you. And so he told a story about a vineyard and a man who hired some people early in the morning and some people came late in the day and they all got the same pay. You all get the same reward. So these were things that he wanted to teach us about God. Luke 14 sits right in the middle of all of those parables. And it's really like a transitional uh, time where he starts with things that he wants us to learn about us and he ends with things that he wants us to know about God. And so when it comes to all the parables, this one right in the middle focuses first on where are you and let me show you where God is in the same idea, the same theme. And this one has to be about feasts and throwing feasts. And it all came about because a Pharisee decided to invite Jesus over to his house on the Sabbath day. Now, it was all a setup. Jesus knew it was a setup, but he uses it as a really good learning opportunity for us. So let me begin with the end. I want us to remember that as we talk today about the gap between feast and famine, what God really wants us to remember, I, I believe, out of this chapter is that Between people whose hearts are hurting and between the banquet that God has prepared in heaven is our life. And God wants to leverage you, to leverage me, and our relationship with him to help these people get there. Now, today you may be saying, this is me. I am at a place where I feel like my life is falling apart where I don't know how to navigate the future. I feel like I've lost everything that is important to me and I don't know what to do. Well, man, this message is going to be for you because you're going to see today the heart of God and how much he's running after you. So, so listen and take notes. In the, and there's a handout an outline in the pew rack in front of you and just get one of the pens and fill out all the blanks. This is a love letter today. Luke 14 is a love letter to you. Or maybe you're already in a relationship with God and you already know about the amazing grace of God and you already feel like you're eating at the banquet table of the one who has given you everything. Don't get so used to being full of God that you don't forget to run after the ones that are hungry. So this message is for you. Get the notes out of the pew rack in front of you and write them down. There's something in this chapter that is very important to, in my mind to God that he wants to make sure that we capture. So here is how it ends in verse 23 and 24. The goal. God said, so that the house will be full. Now, he's referring to heaven. And, and we're going to see that last little story, that last little parable where God's inviting all these people And some people end up saying no. And he wants to run everywhere. God said, here's the goal. I want my house full. I want heaven full of people. I don't want anybody to miss heaven. And if you're already on that path, and if you're already eating from the banquet table of God, then leave the 99 and run after the one that's hungry and bring them back with you. Right? But God wants his house full. Now, this is Jesus' dilemma. He is over at a Pharisee's house with other Pharisees and all they want to do is eliminate him. Does Jesus want them in heaven? Yes. And so he's going to be so kind. He's going to challenge them. But listen, this is his dilemma. God wants everybody in heaven. And he walks into this room, those that are trying to set me up, those that are trying to kill me, those that have never tasted of the mercy and the grace and the love of God, and those who are just learning what that means. And so this is what he wants. Now, let's go into the whole story and see what he has to say to us today. Luke 14, verse 1. One Sabbath day, very important, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. And the people were watching him closely. Now, first of all, a Pharisee planned a big dinner over at his house on the Sabbath day. What was one of the big rules of the Sabbath day? No work. No work. So everything for the feast had to be done the day before. And if the food had to be kept warm, if they were serving any meat, they had a, a ton of special preparations that had to go into making sure that the meal was properly prepared. That meat could not cook any on the Sabbath day. So it's not like they could put it in a crock pot and plug it in and heat it up. They had to do something so that everything was done on that Friday so that Saturday when they were coming to the feast, everything had already been done and all they had to do was walk in and open up and eat and share. And so... If you were to go back and read William Barkley, you know, is one of my favorite commentaries. And he'll, he'll share with you all the things that they had to do. It was amazing. And so they're, I'm sure, very proud of how hard they worked on Friday to make sure they didn't do any work on Saturday as Jesus was eating at this banquet. But the whole thing was a setup. Because they're wanting to see what Jesus is going to do on the Sabbath. And so you're going to see here in just a little bit, they invited someone who's, who needed healing. And so this right here, the people were watching him closely. If you were to read it in the Greek, it's, this is the same word that we get our word interrogation from. They were interrogating him. They were sitting back. They were, they, it's, a, it's all a setup. And so they're watching him closely, and Luke is letting us know, okay, Jesus is being set up. Be careful, be careful, be careful. The theme music from Jaws is done, da-dun-dun. Dun, dun. They're going to they're gonna eat you alive. So I'm just wanting to share lessons as we go through it. This is going to feel more like a Bible study than a sermon. First thing, you know, you know how do we bridge this gap? Here's Jesus' gap, so here's the first thing for us. We will never make our enemies our friends if we refuse to talk to them. Why did Jesus go to the banquet? I mean, if he knew he was going to be set up, why did he go there anyway? I mean, he could have said, they're just trying to set me up. I don't care about them. They don't care about me. We will never make our enemies our friends if we refuse to talk to them. Amen? Now, should this be rhetorical or should you raise your hand? How many of you have enemies? (laughs) <laughs> maybe it should be rhetorical. Well, I'm not gonna admit that in church. I got some enemies. Red Skelton used to say, I love my enemies. I made most of them, right? <laughs> and so there you go. And, and I know that I could have shortened this to something that was three words and maybe it easier to remember, but I just I I don't know why I just wrote out the whole sentence. Listen, there are people that we avoid because we don't want to see them. And quite frankly, and this is definitely rhetorical, if I were to ask you, is there somebody in your life that you hope doesn't make it to heaven? I hope your answer is no. I don't hate anybody that badly. There are people that we ostracize. There are people that we eliminate. There are people that we just want to get rid of just because we don't like them. Have you ever seen Jesus do that? So for somebody in here, that's the first thing that we need to learn. I don't care how much you feel like somebody is going after you. God wants his house full. Amen? So that leads to the second point. Have you learned how to be calm when under constant criticism? Oh, boy. Somebody's like, I I don't want to write that one down. I don't don't even want to remember that. That's not easy to do, is it? When you feel like all somebody's doing is just picking you apart. After a while, it just gets old. You just get tired of it. And I know Jesus got tired of these Pharisees constantly picking at him. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Your disciples are, yeah, yeah, but He's just, oh, you know, he's worn out. But God wants his house full. And so constantly in, in Jesus' mind is what am I going to do to help get these men to heaven to see things differently? Because boy, if we can turn them around, then maybe we can make some headway. And you know, at the end of Jesus' ministry when he was crucified. The gospel writers say there were many who were Pharisees that were secretly following Jesus. But they didn't tell anybody because they did not want to lose their job. Remember that? I wonder what happened on the day of Pentecost. I wonder when, you know, those 3,000 just gave their, I wonder how many of them were Pharisees. How many of them said, if, if, if I have to deny Jesus to keep my job, then my job is no longer important to me. And so, for some of us, we get down to the point to where we have to say, okay how how much does it mean to you to be a follower of Jesus and to love our enemies and to run off after those who constantly criticize us and belittle us?" I was have you' all seen the chosen? Any have you seen the chosen so it's an app you can put on your phone and it 's for free and and it 's a recreation of uh, the, the life and times of Jesus and his apostles. I I think it is so well done, very, very well done. And in this last episode of season two, Jesus is standing with Matthew and he's preparing for his big sermon on the mount. And, he's, and Matthew, he said, Matthew, come over. And he, Matthew's writing a bunch of stuff down. And Jesus wants him to remember it. And uh, Jesus says, how are we doing, Matthew? And Matthew said, well, you know, the very first thing that you have is it is about being the salt of the earth. He said, I don't even know exactly what that means, but that's your opening line. I think we could probably come up with something better. <laughs> and Jesus is like, you're right. We, we need to have a better opening. I need some time. And then he comes back and he says, Matthew, I want you to write this down. And he gives the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are, for they will. And he just gives them. And while he's speaking it, uh, they're showing these videos of all these apostles who are Some who are peacemakers, who are making sure that they're... And, and then he looks at Matthew, and he says, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of things evil against you falsely for my sake. And Matthew stops writing, and he looks up at Jesus, and, he, and then Jesus continued... For great is your reward in heaven. Isn't that awesome? That Matthew's writing down and Jesus is looking at him and he's like, Matthew, I know what you've been enduring for my sake. That's this. That's this. Put aside whatever we have to put aside so that we can make sure that we carry the spirit of Jesus so that the house of God is full. Amen. So let's continue. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Now this is the guy that was that was the big setup. Now we know it later because Jesus ended up saying, "Hey, listen, when you throw a party, you need to invite some people who are sick and who are lame and who need healing." Well, this guy was there, but he wasn't invited because they wanted him there. He was the setup to Jesus. So Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the religious law, "Is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day, or not?" I mean, Jesus, like, we might as well just address it right here at the very beginning. I mean, I know I'm here, and I know it's a big setup, and I know why this guy's here, so just let me ask you. Is it permitted, yes or no? This was their law. They're the ones who wrote this down. And by the way, the answer to it was, yes, it is permitted. But they wanted to criticize him for doing something that they knew, even in their own law, gave them permission to do. When they refused to answer, they're like, well, we don't want to lose our argument right here in the first two minutes of the feast. We haven't even, you know... Put the food out yet. (laughs) Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Ah. Jesus is awesome, isn't he? He's like, let's just get this on with. Let's go. Because that man is suffering and he needs healing. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? I mean, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? Now you're all looking at me like, there he goes again, working on the Sabbath. Well, which of you doesn't? If your son or cow falls into a pit... Don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. This is another really good thing that the chosen does. Jesus doesn't come up with these things all random. More than likely, there was a day when he was walking into town and somebody's oxen or cow or something went into a ditch and his son was trying to get it out and struggling and the Pharisee goes over and helps him and it happened on the Sabbath and Jesus notices and just keeps walking and maybe even smiles at him. And that guy's in the room trying to set Jesus up. And he says, hey, don't you remember last Sabbath when you were pulling your son and that cow out of the ditch? Was it okay for you to do that? The best time to help someone is on their schedule, not ours. Amen. When, I mean, listen, it was the Sabbath, but Jesus wanted, God wanted the Sabbath to be a blessing for people. And, and, and you don't want anybody suffering. People are more important than the law. And Jesus is trying to get people to see that. The law was meant to be a blessing to help people. You're using it as a weapon to criticize them, including me. You're using it as a way to keep people out of heaven. And so this is a really, really good one. I know there are some people like, we like to plan the times when we're going to serve people. And I'm available to serve somebody next Friday at between 3 and 4. And I think that's great. But there are some people who, even when it's inconvenient, are willing to get their hands dirty. You are so good at that. Just when, when people need you, me, us, it doesn't matter if it's the right time or not. It doesn't matter if it's convenient. It doesn't matter if it's an, in, an inconvenience. We do it because God wants His house full, and when people are hurting, that's when they need us. And it's not always convenient, is it? Is it? So, for some of us, we need to write that down. I've—I I can't schedule my times of service. I just need to be a servant. Let's continue. So when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. So here's another one of his little parable illustrations. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed. You'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, Take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. That's just awesome, isn't it? I mean, it's like, look, he's noticing all these Pharisees and they're coming into the room and they're all jocking for position. Everybody wants to be in control. Everybody wants to be the most important person. Everybody wants to be the VIP. Everybody wants to be important. And what Jesus is saying is, if that's all you care about, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. And not that should not be what's most important to you. What should be most important to you is everybody else except you. Yeah. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. And here it is. Man, this is a scripture we need to memorize. For those who exalt themselves will be humble. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you believe that? In all things? Is that easy or hard to live? Well, if it's hard, start practicing it. It gets easier. Right? It gets easier. This is the way we've all been called to live. Is this what Jesus did? Was Jesus jockeying for the head of the table? Was he the one who said, listen, who's more important than the Son of God around here? Move out of the way. And how many people would have been missing heaven if that would have been his spirit? The best seat in the house is the seat of humility. Amen. Write that one down. Man, that's who we are. That's who we want to be. Man, and I just kind of tell you, man, first city, that's, that's us. That's you. That's, that's you know, what? that's who we are. And, and if it's not who we are, we're never going to have a great impact in our city. Amen? Yes. But this is us. You want to practice something? Let's go practice that. Teenagers, you want to learn what this means? Go home and wash dishes. (laughs) Make your bed without being told. (laughs) Go. (laughs) I learned this the hard way. Oh, man. I hope I don't embarrass my wife here. (laughs) I'm going to embarrass me. We were having a situation at home and and we were trying to see eye to eye and and it was a stressful situation. And, And I went into the room and I said something and I had done something and I didn't use the best judgment in how I did it. And my wife was trying to let me know you could have handled that better. And so she was in her loving voice letting me know that I could have done it better. And I stood there And I didn't say anything. And when she took a breath, I said, Are you done? (laughs) (laughs) And she said, Yes, I'm done. And I turned around and walked out. Now, one thing you need to know about us is five minutes later, you know, she came in the room and she said, hey, did we remember to do so-and-so? I'm like, I don't know. You know, and so we're engaging like nothing's, that, what I just told you is as bad as it gets in our house. And it's, that was bad, but that's as bad as it gets. And then we were acting like everything's fine. Now I'm just convicted because she didn't go at me. She didn't, I can't believe you. I'm done. You know, she didn't do any of that. She didn't dramatize it. She didn't wear, she just let it, she just let God work on me. So the next day, I come into the office, I have a meeting with somebody, and he's writing out his purpose statement. And as he's writing out his per- purpose statement that he wants to live his life by, he ended with this, I am a servant. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be helping this guy come up with his person, personal purpose statement for life. And I can't say that. I just started crying. And he's, you know, he didn't know what's going on. He's like, what? Is it not good? good?" (laughs) You don't understand. Last night we were doing this, and this is what happened, and my wife was saying to me that I needed to hear, and I said, Are you done? And she comes back, Yeah. And I said, I blew it. I blew the whole thing. I wish I would have said to her. Instead of saying, are you done? I wish I would have said, how can I serve you right now? The whole thing would have been different. So I'm still crying while I'm sitting there talking to him. And I said, I'm sorry. I've got to go. And I got up and I had to go home and apologize to my wife. And I said, I've got to go and learn what that means. I am a servant. And I got to do that every day. I got to start asking, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? How can I serve you? Right now, how can I serve you? Teenagers, that's what we do. Mom, how can I serve you right now? Wife, boss, how can I serve you right now? That's what this is. Then he turned to the host, he continues. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends and brothers and relatives and rich neighbors, for they'll invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And don't don't use this man as a target to get at me. You need to really run after people who really would love to sit at a banquet table. And invite them into the things of God. Then at the resurrection of righteousness, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Now, see, all of a sudden, he's moved us from something that was about me that I need to learn into something that's going to really help somebody else. He's like, I hope that you've learned you need to be humble. I hope you've learned that you need to be a servant. Because... God, your energy needs to go to helping somebody else because God wants his house full. The best effort, your best effort, should go to those that's left out. Our best effort, all of our energy, needs to run after people who are hurting. And this community, I, I hope that what we're going to end up saying next year is that, man, we just thought that we were making a big impact in our community. It's nothing like what we're doing now because our energy, our best effort as a church is running after all those people who need more of God. Amen? Amen? Now, as a church, that's the one that we really, we need to make sure that's top of mind. Because when we're arguing, and we don't do that. If if you're a guest, we don't really do that. This is just an illustration. But if we're arguing about, I didn't like that song. It's just not one of my favorite songs. When are we going to sing a different song? And it was so loud. And the lights are way too bright or way too low. Or why don't we ever open up and show the stained glass windows anymore? (laughs) If that's how we spend our time, we're missing it. Our best effort should go to those who are not yet Invited to the banquet of God. Amen. Amen. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table uh, with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet at the kingdom of God. He's changing the subject. That's enough about me. I'm tired of being convicted. Oh, I can't wait till I go to heaven and I'm sitting at God's banquet table. Whoo! So then Jesus replied with another story, another parable. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to the guests. Come, the banquet is ready. So everybody understood what this meant. If, if you were going to be invited over to a banquet or to a feast, then invitations would go out. They would handwrite them. They would come and hand it to you. And it would say, next Friday, there's going to be a big banquet and you're invited. Do you want to come? And people would reply. Yes, 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 yes. Hey, how many of you want to go to heaven? Just raise your hand. How many of you want to go to heaven? Okay, so yeah, you're going to say, yeah, God wants you in heaven. He's inviting you. You want to go? If you want to go, say yes. So God's watching. Do you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand, yes or no? Okay. I don't. And, and so the next question that people would ask is, well, what time is it? Well, we don't know what time. It, we have a lot of preparations to make. We're going to go make those preparations, and when it's time, when it's ready, we'll send our servants out, and they'll knock on your door, and they'll say, hey, it's ready. Let's, let's go to the banquet. Let's go to the feast. So everybody's like, yep, yep, yep. So they got the count, and let's see, how many? 150. That's how many we're preparing for. And so they go back, and they prepare for 150. But they all began to make excuses. When the servant went and knocked on their door, everything's ready now. It's time to go. Oh, (laughs) I just bought a field and I got to go inspect it. It's just not good timing for me. Oh, please excuse me, another said. I just bought five pair of oxen and I want to go try them out. I just just got some new cattle. (laughs) You'll have to pardon me, but it's just not good timing. Oh, I just got married, I can't, I can't come. And part of it was, you know, when someone, when a couple just got married, they spent the first year together, that was their highest priority, and so they said no to a lot of other things. He's like, well, bring your, so all these people are now making excuses, I want to go to heaven, I want to go to heaven, I want to go to heaven, I want to go to heaven. Okay, do you want to go now? You ready to go now? Yeah, well, yeah. yes, as much as would, okay, okay, but this is what he's saying. All these people were invited to go, but they found other things more important. See, that's, this, is his, this really is what he's saying about sin. This is rhetorical. If I were to ask you, what is, the one, what is the biggest challenge in your life that's keeping you from heaven? How long have you been struggling with it? until you continue doing it. Even though God has invited you, even though you said yes, if he were to come now, are you still struggling with that one thing or those things, those habits that keep you from pleasing God? You know, little things like gossip. Not loving your enemy. Slander. Envy, jealousy, strife. You know, all those things that Jesus said, those people who participate in those things will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We know we need to give them up. We know we need to prepare our hearts to be ready for the banquet of God. But for some reason in life, we feel like we've got more time. And we tend to live too long with our sin. Is that right? And that's his struggle. God has prepared heaven for you. But for some reason, people would rather live with their stuff, even their sin, than go to heaven. And he's like, how am I going to get you home? How am I going to get you to put off? We put off the eternal for things temporary. Maybe I should have said, don't put off the eternal for things temporary. There are a lot of things that your life can get mixed up in. Don't exchange heaven for a bowl of soup. Don't exchange the blessing of God because, right, you remember that story. If not, ask me when we leave. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly to the streets, to the alleys. This is the heart of God. In town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported there's still room for more. So his master said, go to the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. And he wasn't saying this in revenge. He's saying it because unfortunately it's true. People who have been invited and should be going have made other decisions and for whatever reason have decided not to. Now, uh, every one of these little short stories that Jesus was telling, every one of these illustrations all had to do with a feast and a banquet (coughs) telling us one thing. Life in the kingdom of God should be a celebration. It should be a celebration the way we live our life, your life should be happy right now. You should be rejoicing right now. If you're eating at the banquet table of God, your life should be so full of joy. And don't let people who are naysayers, people who criticize you, you know, we were out cutting the grass and the neighbor comes out from across the street and says, you're making too much noise, it's too early in the morning. God bless you. (laughs) He loves you. Don't let somebody's criticism rob you. From the joy that God has given you. Life is a celebration. Live like it and invite as many people to heaven as possible. And that's our story. That's all the story, all the illustrations, all in one. Now look down through that list and say, where do I need to begin? What do I need to start doing? How are we going to prepare to open up for the greater things of God? And as a church, now that we're coming back together now that we're starting to gather again and we're feeling better about that and things are safe, we are going to be talking more and more about now. This is the best time to move our best effort into the community and to help all those who are not yet invited to the banquet table of God and make sure that they make it. Amen? Amen? So let's pray as the worship team begins to set up. I'm so glad you're here. and. And we have communion that's set up and it's at our back doors and as you're leaving. By the way, thank you for your generosity. Most of you are giving online and using those services and thank you for that. Because of you and your blessing and your generosity, we're able as a church to just continue. In fact, you've been so great at it that we haven't really felt any financial hardships through all of that. So can I just thank you for your generosity and thank you for just doing that even when no one is watching. I love your generous hearts. And if you're like, oh yeah, I bet I ought to start doing that more. Then okay, you can do it more and you can join us. Not, be, not because we have to have it, but because God's wanting you to be blessed by it. And then as we're sharing communion, and you eat today those two little emblems that we call communion. It's just a simple symbol that God has already invited you to his table. And you said yes. Yes. And that is just a gentle reminder. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Lord God.